Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd. Another fantastic day of Roland Garros in the books in particular. If you're an American tennis fan, was a great day of viewing for you. You got to see guys like Isner, Opelka, Marcos Giron, Steve Johnson all end up in the winner's circle. You got to see fantastic fights from Tommy Paul and Mackie McDonald. So, of course, we talk about all of those results on today's podcast as well as break down the rest of the notable action to ensure all of you Cracked Rackets fans have all of the information you need to thoroughly enjoy the rest of this 2021 French Open. And, of course, there are a few people I enjoy discussing all the things happening in the professional tennis world more with than our guest on today's show. You may know him, host of Monday Match Analysis, repeat guest here, so I don't think I need to plug everything once again, in Gil Gross, who joins me to break down all of Day 4's actions, preview all of Day 5 as well. It's a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to thoroughly enjoy. Before we can get to that conversation, though, a little bit of business we got to get to. Of course, you all know the deal by now, but in case you don't, these podcasts at the mini break made possible day in day out because of the support we get from all of you listeners from our crack rackets patreon family and of course from our friends at midwest sports slash tennis point now in case you want to learn more about that merger why are we calling it tennis point now you can in a cracked interviews i am posting later today perhaps you listen to this podcast early thursday morning but if you listen to the cracked interviews podcast later in the day you're going to get to hear my conversation with tennis point Dave Limke, who talks about joining the Tennis Point family, talks about the new equipment, new deals being offered on their website, and so much more. It's a fantastic conversation. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, and of course, hopefully you all continue to enjoy everything made available to the tennis community by our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. You know the deal. You go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off your order, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Another note for all of our Crack Rackets college tennis fans, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak, join me on the GSP for our 2021 college tennis season finale. We ended up breaking that podcast into two parts. Part one, you'll hear our thoughts on on the team and individual events in part two, which is coming out on Friday. You're going to get to hear us listen, all, uh, hear us answer all of your mailbag questions. It was one of the five favorite podcasts I have done here at Cracked Rackets. That's how enjoyable it was. I am a thousand percent confident all of you listeners are going to enjoy it as well. So be on the lookout for those shows on the Great Shot podcast feed. But with that in mind, let's recap day four of the 2021 French Open with my buddy Gil Gross. West off. Roll the tape. Who? 
Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Joining us on the podcast again, the host of Monday Match Analysis, the host of Three, a tennis show, a fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network host, and my eyebrowed nemesis, Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Uh, Great to be back, doing very, very well. Let's get into it. No, absolutely. I feel like it's first night session for you. I know we usually are lingering that 8 p.m., 9 p.m. time. I'm asking you to go late tonight. I think we have... I think we've been in this territory. Don't, <laughs> don't underestimate my uh, my night owl yeah. prowess. No, you're right. I've, I've underestimated you from the start, and for the listeners at home <laughs> who I know want to keep track, you have very much surpassed me in the Twitter follower department, and that was expected <laughs> during these Grand Slams. Nevertheless, I only foster a little bit of resentment, but it is still always great to see your smiling face. And, you know, again, I want to let you plug the shows at the beginning because I listened to three this week. You guys talk Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, their prospects for the French Open. Quick synopsis of what our listeners can expect from that episode. Well, I think what we're going to try to do on a pretty consistent basis after each round at this major and moving forward is recap every single round, preview the next one. So three, three set wins for the big three, and we talk about it on three, and then we preview the next round. Uh, Some good, intriguing second-round matches. I really like them, and sometimes we still get kind of really not – Super intriguing second round matches for the top seeds, but Djokovic, Cuevas, Federer, Chilich, and um, Nadal, Gaz K, which might not be a very competitive match, but has its charm. No, no doubt about that. Did you play Super Smash Bros. Melee on the GameCube, or is that a little after your time? No, I, I, I'm there with you. So you know when you played Melee and you'd go, free for all, free, 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 like that that sound effect. That's what I heard there where it was like, three, 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 three. <laughs> and so uh, that was my comparison to what I just heard. But uh, listeners know, I feel like I don't have much to add often until we get to the later parts of the slam to the Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal discourse because I feel like I've said it all before. You guys really do do an excellent job of breaking it all down. So again, highly recommend that show. Highly recommend Monday Match Analysis. But with that in mind, uh, let's get into, as you mentioned, day four, four, four of this French Open. And, you know, in particular, as always, match breakdowns. Then we'll talk about the upsets, the matches that went the distance. We'll run through the other results as well. The match 
we have to start with, I think, the match that everyone on tennis Twitter tuned into, particularly here in the United States at the end, because it was a match that you know, was going from like 11 a.m. to that 2 p.m., 3 p.m. range, a match that may have broken a few hearts, certainly mine, as listeners know, Mackie McDonald, friend of the program, a guy I've had the chance to get to know over the past few seasons. He had two match points and was so, I think, literally like two inches away on that sideline forehand from pulling off the upset of number 22 seed Christian Guerin. And, of course, Christian Guerin, a guy who has had so much success on the clay court throughout uh, throughout his career. He's dominated the South American swing, fe- seeming like each and every season, dating back to 2018. You look at things like Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, in, in particular his clay court-specific ELO rating. He's a guy who's always hovering around the top 10. You look for him coming into this event. He's number 12. He is yet to have a big French Open run, and it's funny, overall at the French Open, he was 4-5 and five in his career, including qualifying, coming into today's match. He extends that record to 5-5 five and five as Garen escapes. Yes, that's the word, escapes with a 4-6-4-6-7-6-6-3-8-6 victory over McDonald. It's worth noting, I feel like we've had like 5 or 6 now come from two sets to love deficit, come from behind two sets to love deficit wins at this French Open in particular. Garen's able to do that again today as well. Your thoughts, let's start with him on his performance, what this means to him to scrap this match out. He's he's a little bit lucky to get through this match. I don't even know. A little bit might just be being kind. He's very lucky to get through this match because he was in losing positions multiple times. It was razor tight. But obviously in the beginning, he let Mackie, or he didn't let, but Mackie did get off to uh, a really commanding two sets to love lead. And it was uh, pretty competitive from there, even obviously in the third set and the fifth set. So you play two sets that Mackey wins quite easily, and then two sets that felt like it could have gone either way. Well, the, the, the guy who uh, who is on the wrong side of that equation ended up winning the match in, in Christian Garin. Um, but ultimately, I think here's the good sign for him. He, he had chances to fold under pressure there in the fifth set when all the expectation is on him. Maybe a little bit of that equation is a little bit um, the other way because of what happened in the third set and McDonald um, blowing the match points. But when it comes to who has the expectation on them for a deep French Open run, as you've said, Garen just hasn't been able to get through the uh, first couple rounds here in Paris. Well, all the pressure is on him. And considering what happened in Madrid in the quarterfinal against Berrettini when he was rolling in that match and then melted down to the fullest extent, you start to have questions about how he's managing nerves and expectation. And the best thing about this match for Garen is that he comes through a tight one where he could have gotten nervous and he could have he could have really been the guy who was in McDonald's position and got tight in the big spots. No, no denying that. And first of all, f*** you for your Garin. Uh, that was a beautiful pronunciation of it, of course. And now I'm like, I'm doubting myself. I'm like, do I say yeah. Garin? Do I say Garin? I know, I go back and forth. It's a I, tough it's, one. I, we would think we'd be better than this at this point. We're just, again, is it Garin? Probably. I'm going to say Garin. I'm just letting you guys know out front. And again, that was an affectionate F-bomb. You know that. All of my F-bombs towards of you course. come from a place of affection. Um, look, 
the mat even beyond the match points because when you miss a forehand by two inches like that's just a miss and you know McDonald's was right there in terms of finishing the match the one that he's going to see in his sleep and honestly the two balls he's going to see in his sleep six all 30 40 he gets Garen, you know, he baits Garen to move forward, or Garen does move forward. He hits a brilliant first passing shot, and Garen attempts. Uh, now you're in my head, uh, which is like this match, and he attempts to hit this drop volley. But Mackie McDonald, who is, I would say, one of the 10, 15 best movers in the ATP game right now, like it's that fluid out of the corners. His game just so silky smooth, um, silky smooth. It's like the Zo. Did you ever see the Zohan? Um, you know, you don't mess with the Zohan, the Adam Sandler. Yeah, it's might be. It's it, it's been a while. Yeah, I did see it. He cuts the hair point. and he goes, "Oh, I've cut the hair silky smooth." Um, but <laughs> anyways, that's Mackie's game for you. Um, I mean, that for he had the forehand pass, and literally the only place he couldn't go was down the line back at Garen, and that's where he went. And Garen was right there, puts the volley away. Very next point, exact same situation. He misses that ball in the net. Mackie makes those two shots for a winner nine out of ten times, like 99 out of 100 times. Legitimately, that's not a ball he misses, and he missed, and he blinked. And when the margins are this thin, you look in terms of total points, uh, it was a split in this match, 177 apiece. That's the difference. And, like, it's a a credit to Garen, who scrapped and clawed his way back into this. And, you know, I know comparisons to Federer are always bold. That's the game style comp for Mackie McDonald. His ability, first of all, that forehand is just beautiful. And his ability to catch it early and beat you to the spot. And again, it's a little bit flat, but it works on this surface because his movement is so effective. He won the 0-4 shot rallies 106-87 to in this match. And you look at the superficial stats, he made 70% of his first serves. And he got Garen trying to cheat over to hit forehand returns because he just kept going to that backhand wing. But then come sets four and five, you know, three, four, and five, he started mixing up his spots, and he can hit all of the spots. He won 69% of his first serve points. He won 58% of his second serve points, which were minimal anyways. To hit only 50 second serves in a five-set match, that's a testament to the high-level match he was playing. And then, you know, 56 winners against 56 unforced errors. He got to match point, obviously, but this match was on Mackie McDonald's racket, and yet Fort Guerin his ability to find forehands is second to none. Like, if you're on a clay court and you're playing Christian Guerin, you're tracking down his forehand, and that forehand is special. Yeah, it, it's a very heavy shot. Sometimes it goes off the rails. It, I, it's not like one of those shots that is always firing, but it, it is it is a really good forehand, and I would point to Mackey's forehand ultimately in this match is just... I thought that he got a little bit, he went for a little bit too much in, in big moments. And I, I know, you know, neither of the first two match points are spots where you look at and you're like, well, terrible miss. No. And as you said, it was very close to the sideline. He, he nearly made that second match point. But then if you look at the game where he got broken Mm -hmm. at seven, eight, it was also forehands. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it's a flat shot. He just needs to know when to reel it back because what does Garen love to do? Counterattack. You know, mm-hmm. he he wants to be defending. If you if you ask him to do his own creation 
and his own generation of some offense. He's not all that comfortable. Now, I'm not saying Mackey should get that defensive, but pick your spots. You know, don't get too anxious to to take risks early because Garen's really not going to hurt you if you don't give him a good reason to. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, for Garen in this match, you know, yes, he lost the zero to four shot rallies, but you compare beyond that, he won 89 uh, five plus shot rallies. Mackey was only at 71. You look at his winner to unforced errors and his ability to yank you cross court with that forehand to open up the down the line. And then quietly, he's a very good volleyer. Like, I don't think eh, we don't give him enough credit. There's that saying again. Didn't you miss that one? <laughs> I don't think we give him enough credit as a volleyer. He gets to the net 45 times, wins 31 of those points. All he usually has to do is make the volley because that's how much space he creates for himself. 71 winners against 59 unforced errors. And, you know, again, this is only the second time in his career he makes the third round of this French Open. He's never advanced past that stage either. And, you know, again, via tennis abstract, he's 72 and 60 in his career in ATP level matches. 15 and 27 on hard courts, 55 and 27 on clay courts. And now he's got a matchup with Marcos Giron, uh, who obviously, you know, the seed was Grigor Dimitrov in that section. That seed is obviously out. And you look, you know, for uh, uh, Garen moving forward. Now, again, after Giron, I believe, and I want to make this, I want to make sure I'm correct here because you look at his section of the draw, he would potentially face either an Opelka or a Medvedev. Is he your favorite to reach the quarterfinals out of this section, or do you favor? I mean, a, do you think he beats Giron, and then b, do you think he knocks off an Opelka or a Medvedev? Well, uh, Giron, I would say back-to-back Bruins. That's it. That's that's. <laughs> I guess you take that, right? Yeah. Now an announcer's worst nightmare is <laughs> Garin versus Giron. <laughs> feel bad for whoever has to call that one. That's true. They're going to uh, emphasize the green. They're like, we yeah, have to. Yeah. And then you're going to get a recommended course of action. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I don't, I'm not in a place. I don't really trust Garen yet with, in terms of his, uh, the way he handles these moments, because I've, I've seen it turn bad for him a couple of times. And then I also, I'm not, massively confident that he'll be able to pull off a win over Medvedev who I I do expect to to get through to that fourth round at this point and we've talked about him and our expectations for him when he's competing on the surface he says he feels good I think we should believe him when he says he feels good <laughs> you know I would say that that Garen just falls into a category for me where he's not quite big enough offensively, not quite enough firepower, and at the same time just doesn't have the ball machine-like consistency that I'd want to see from a player who doesn't have that firepower. Now, I'm talking with that that critique is on a relative scale of, of can you beat a top 10 player on clay? It's not on a scale of are you going to make a ton of money, win a bunch of titles on clay in South America and, and Europe? You know, that's obviously, he's proven that he can do that, and he's a great player when it comes to that, but I, I don't, I've never seen him as a huge threat to the best players in the sport, best of five at a major. I've just never seen him as that guy. Sir, two and three in his career on clay uh, against top 10 opponents. Those wins came over Medvedev and Zverev. Medvedev win, I think, was in Rome earlier this season, five and I seven. Think- or Rome, Madrid. It was it was one Madrid. of those warm up events. Yeah, Madrid. Excuse me. You are correct. Um, shout out to you as always. That's why you beat me in the <laughs> follower count. And then five and seven for him against top twenty players. 
I mean, honestly. Uh, the flip side, you know, the glass half full perspective is that's about as good of a draw as you're going to get to make your first quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. And it's got to happen for him at some point. Certainly things break his way. Last question for you on this match in terms of Mackie McDonald, who, you know, pretty much had his entire hamstring rip off of his body uh, when he was injured in 2019 and was number 57 in the world, had cracked the top, you know, 75 and, you know, fell out of the rankings because of that. And he's back up, you know, number 119. And, you know, it's crazy. He's played eight five setters at majors. You think about the matches. The one that always sticks out to me, Dimitrov 2018 Australian Open. I'll never forget that match. And, you know, last year it was Dan Evans at the Australian Open and Casper Ruud at the U.S. Open. And now it's Christian Guerin here. He's a top 75 guy, though, right? It's a win, not if he gets back to that level. Yeah. And I think his goal should be really lofty, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good to see him healthy. I'm really happy for him. The way he strikes the ball and the way he moves, which is, you know, a really large percentage of the game, uh, I I think he should want to be a top 50 player. And I think he has that ability. And it's it's just a matter of if his body holds up, right? Mm-hmm. No, he's got the athleticism to do it, right? It's like, even though he's not 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", I like his athleticism athleticism as much as any of the Americans, and I just like that he plays on his terms. Like, even in this match when Garin was attacking, Mackey was attacking right back. And even on clay, despite the flat ground strokes, it still works. He just imposes his will. I am very high on Mackey McDonald. I would put him right up. Like, do you feel any worse about him than you, or better than you do Tom? Like, I think him and Tommy Paul, I consider them similar tier. Yeah, it's surface dependent. Like Tommy sure. Paul is definitely a much, much uh, more natural clay player where he likes to kind of, yeah, back up his court position, hit heavy spin, you know, lift the ball, lots of shape on the forehand. And Mackey likes to take the ball on the rise and hit a rope. I was impressed that he looked so comfortable on this clay mm-hmm. because it's more difficult to take the ball on the rise. Your flat balls don't. Uh, bounce as as effectively on the hard court. So I think it's a really positive uh, tournament for him. Hopefully he doesn't dwell too much on the fact that he had a real chance to win that match. No doubt. And he's made a fourth round at Wimbledon before. He's playing his best tennis moving forward again. Mackey is someone no one will want to draw in the first round of Wimbledon. But speaking of Tommy Paul, let's get to his match now because I know all of us got excited and, you know, odds makers were very, very certain that this match was going to go over three and a half sets and they were right because Tommy Paul does hit such a dynamic ball. He does have that plus athleticism to see his game translate here on the clay and, of course, he's 2015 Junior French Open champion and, you know, he's playing a guy in Daniil Medvedev who a lot of people doubted coming into this French Open. But you know who didn't doubt him? Gillen Gross, who came on this (laughs) podcast uh, when we did our contenders and said, keep an eye on Medvedev. And of course, you're doing work as well for the Action Network. You're doing work at a bunch of different places. You have been on the Medvedev bandwagon, justifiably so. And I believe I praised you for it earlier. I'm going to praise you for it once again as he earns a 3-6-6-1-6-4-6-3 victory. His game just works. Like, he's your modern player. When you are defining the 2020s in ATP tennis, it's Daniil Medvedev, right? With a couple of quirks. Yeah. Like, right? But but yes, because he's he's quirky, and that's just how it's <laughs> going to be. You know, he's never going to... He's never going to fit into like a prototype yeah don't don't try to put him in a don't try to p- put him in a in a peg because he's going to be a square and that's 
but um yeah like i i just don't get i just feel like there's a lot of uh i don't want to call it disrespect but i feel like if if you're if you're watching him play the matches leading up to the french and you're watching him pick up just one win against Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, lose every other single match that he plays. But he's not actually competing. Like he's he's getting in his head. He is not focused. He is not putting forth the effort. Like if you're calling a spade a spade and you're watching those matches, this is how it was, is that he was being a head case and and not letting his abilities speak for themselves and and giving his skills a chance to to do what they do. Uh the reality is is does Clay shoot him? No. Is he a little bit worse on Clay? No. But is he going to go from being what is now the second best player in the world in the rankings? Is he going to start playing like someone who's outside the top 50, outside the top 25? No. It just shouldn't be that dip. If he's going to engage mentally, which he has starting with his first round win over Sasha Bublik, the same thing against Tommy Paul, dropped the first set 6-3, didn't panic, didn't complain, didn't yell at his coach, didn't tell the chair umpire to default him because it would be better for everyone if that (laughs) were the case. Okay, it was absolute shenanigans in these lead-up events. And he's put, you know, he's put his head to the grindstone and focused. And when he does... Look, the offense is hard. The offense is going to be hard on this surface, but consistency, depth, trading, defense, all great. All great. It's going to, if he just rides that wave, he's going to win tennis matches, and he is. That's no. my, uh, as my they, soapbox. No, I like it. As they say in the old country, Dianu, my friend, I very much agree with you. And just, you know, again, who does he hang out with in the ELO rating clay court uh, numbers? And ELO rating isn't the end-all, be-all, but I really do think it does a good job of just giving you an approximation. The two above him, Kasmenovic and Paparin. The two below him, Emer and Gombos. And coming into this event, you'd be like, yeah, that that honestly feels about right. And, you know, some of the people he trails are, this is an ELO rating thing, but, like, he's behind a guy like the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic. He's behind guys like Kokonakis and Nuno Borges, Bernabe Zapata Morales, even Taylor Fritz and Juan Manuel Serendolo. Those are guys he trails in ELO rating because you're right. When it's a... I don't want to say a, a clay court match that doesn't matter, but when it's a non—that's hyperbole. But when it's a non-slam match, it's not even that though. I just think it's the three out of five set format, in my opinion. Like, good freaking luck beating Daniil Medvedev three out of five sets. It's really hard to do, right? Because I just think physically, yeah. he's not going to wear down. Right, but I just think he got. I don't think it was about because you know it's a Masters tournament, and I know sure. you you stopped yourself because I think that's what you were kind of thinking to yourself, <laughs> yeah. right? I just think he got in a little rut and mm-hmm. he he went off the rails as he will sometimes do. But I think the point you're making is perfect. Like any metrics, any ELO doesn't see that Daniil Medvedev was clowning out there. And that's <laughs> exactly. not that's not a real representation of how well he can play. And I don't want to I don't want to call out anyone, but like you know, my commentators, the commentators on on the broadcast I was watching favored Tommy Paul. One of them said 50-50. The other said, I favor Tommy Paul. This this is just not the uh the era that that we're in right now between hardcourt and clay court. Nobody is ever going to be the second best hardcourt player in the world and someone who 
is is an underdog against Tommy Paul right now. No disrespect to Tommy Paul, just not number two in the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just find that every the, the entire world has overreacted about Daniil Medvedev's clay struggles, and that's where I'm at. No, hyperbole is a commentator's best friend, as we both know. And, uh, you know, you're going to get a tweet if you say, I favor Tommy Paul versus, ah, I think the number two seed's going to advance in four sets. Tommy will push him, <laughs> but give me Daniil here. Um, but look, the big thing when he was ripping off the win streaks was, again, he was holding serve 90% of the time, a little bit higher. He was holding serve at the rate of John Isner, and he was breaking serve 35% at the rate of prime Rafael Nadal and prime Djokovic. And, like, again, he broke the numbers mathematically heading into that Australian Open final. And then he blinked. And, like, there's no denying all of us saw that match and we thought, okay, he's not ready. Because if he couldn't beat that Djokovic, when's he going to do it? And... I do think that got in his head a little bit. Like, tennis players get in their own heads. There's no denying that. And yet, I mean, by every metric, he beat Paul today. Zero to four shot rallies. He won 66 of them. Tommy Paul won 43. And that's because he just throws you... Like, he is getting that return past the service line. He is getting it deep at your feet. And you're not going to have plus one opportunities against him. And, you know, again, in today's match, he did serve like John Isner. He only made 56% of his first serves, but he won 80% of those first serve points. When you're 40 of 50 on your first serve points... You're having a successful day at the office. 30 winners against 32 on four stairs isn't great, but Tommy didn't have the overwhelming weapon to beat him. And I think Medvedev in that first set kind of locked in, and you could saw you saw it in the 5-3 service game for Paul, which Paul, it was a credit to him that he ended up holding there, getting that first set. But Medvedev extended those rallies 10, 15 shots, and just was like, I'm not going anywhere. And if you hit the winner down the line and set up a drop volley for yourself, bravo, my friend, you just beat me. But that's what you have to do. You have to go out there and beat Daniil Medvedev, and to your credit, you've been on this since the beginning. That's a really hard thing to do, particularly in a 3 out of 5 set format. Yeah, spot on, because Medvedev in the first set was looking to finish points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was forcing things, and he forgot. Offense is going to be hard. This is clay. When you get onto (laughs) the the slick indoor courts of, well, actually, Shanghai. I was going to say Shanghai, but that's outside, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Feels inside. Um, (laughs) But when you get on... When you get on those very Medvedevian courts that are really quick and the ball barely bounces, Daniil can generate offense really easily. Yeah, good luck is right. I mean, he's won every single tournament in the entire stretch uh, from the U.S. Open to the World Tour Finals. But on clay, he's going to have to just reel back, and it's going to be hard work for him. But we, we also, we've seen him do that hard work, particularly in 2019, where it's like, oh my God, does this guy have lungs or is he like a robot? His cardio is insane. He needs to bring that version of Daniil Medvedev to a clay court. As soon as he flipped that switch, it was very, very difficult on Tommy. No, you know what they say, the more your hairline has receded, the better your cardio. Uh, I can firsthand experience there. And Daniil Medvedev's like, Two bad haircuts away from shaving that bad boy. Let's just be clear. Uh, and I, when oh. he, I, my thing I always say is when I he does it, I can't envision. I can't envision that. Oh no, the full Squidward look. That'd be great for him. And like I said, it when Ooh. he does it, I do it. Um, and so, anyways, tangent for all of you on the side. But no, I mean, yes, I would echo all of your points. And again. Is his plan A as on clay courts in particular as sexy as a Tsitsipas is, as sexy as a Rudes or, you know, the guys who can play front foot tennis? No, it's not. 
But his ability to develop plan B, plan C, plan D, it works regardless of surface. And yeah, it's a, you know, Tommy Paul did not play a bad match, although 20 winners against 46 on four stairs, I think is a testament to just how hard it is to hit a winner against Medvedev. But again, Medvedev advances and his match versus Opelka, that's just has all of the recipe to be a super, super exciting match. Any final thoughts on this one? Yeah, I I think Tommy Paul played well. I just want to say that I don't think he played bad because, yeah, you look at that number, it's ugly. My, you know, what I was noticing in the rallies is that he was getting nothing to attack. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that makes Medvedev so difficult is that not only is he keeping the ball in the court, but he's he's keeping it deep like like a Novak would. And it, it just felt like, honestly, whoever was the aggressor was actually losing mm-hmm. fairly consistently in this match. But the, the problem was that Tommy, yes, you know, Daniil had a shot tolerance edge, but he was getting nothing to attack. And that's why he, he only had 23 winners to all the unforced errors. It, it just didn't feel like a bad match for him. I think Medvedev was just good. Yeah, no, he takes away what you want to do best, and then he's got that serve, and then he can do all the other little things as well. It was a good performance for Medvedev. Also, I I really hope Tommy Paul gets uh, a good draw at the French in the coming years because I really think he can do some damage. There's a Garen aspect to it where it's just like you're waiting for that breakthrough. It's going to happen eventually. Could not Mm -hmm. agree with you more. But it's funny because the title of this podcast is going to be American Men. (coughs) Excuse me. Clay Court Specialists. We talked about two American men who have lost here on the Clay Court (laughs) to start. We'll get to the ones who were successful later on in the podcast. Let's flip gears now, talk about the women a little bit, in particular Serena Williams, and she's yet to really be tested, uh, you know, thus far, and, you know, we always want to see her tested early on in an event, because when she does get tested, if she gets through that first test, then you start to worry if you're the rest of the field, because you really got to knock her off early, otherwise she's ending up in the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of these slams, that's just the sort of competitor she is, and she got that test today against Buzernescu, ultimately advances 6-3-5-7-6-1. Your thoughts on Serena today? This is a benefit for her long-term, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Buzernescu was such a such a wall, um, was such an amazing counter-striker, and just her anticipation, she just seemed to be so on balance, <laughs> and uh, she absorbed Serena's power really, really well. And as a result, like, Serena just had to be really, really good in order to to beat uh, Buzernescu. And, you know, it was on Serena's racket, but that doesn't mean it wasn't easy for her. Uh, so I agree. I thought she got a good physical test, a good mental test here. And I, I have one concern, but I want to let you respond first. No, I appreciate oh, – that's why you're the best in the business. Um, tied for the best. Come on. Um, but look, 75% of her first serve points won. 60% of her second serve points won. She was broken twice in, you know, saved off five of the seven break points she faced. She converted five of the 14 break points she had. 26 winners against 27 unforced errors. Again, it wasn't the best Serena Williams, 
But the way she responded to take that third set 6-1, and you look at the numbers in that third set in particular, she makes 60% of her first serve. She wins 16 of the 25 points she faces, uh, plays on serve. She converts three of her break uh, four breakpoint chances, seven winners against six unforced errors. Just, you know, mathematically, she did what she needed to do. She won 23 more 0-4 to four shot rallies than Buzernescu. That plus one tennis remains as effective as ever. That serve is just so clearly the best serve in women's tennis history. And, you know, again, can Osaka catch her someday? It's awfully good. I, Osaka has that quality to her. Like, that's the only person mm-hmm. I've ever seen come even close to the realm of the Serena Williams serve in plus one tennis. But, you know... Even the five-plus shot rally, she played Buzernescu even. And, like, if if Serena plays you even on the longer rallies, you're just not beating her because that plus-one speed is still there. And to your point, was it her best performance? No. But the plus-one looked good. The rest of the game's going to catch up as the event progresses. And, again, this was the chance. Like, Buzernescu probably needed to take that first set. Played almost well enough to do it. But Serena's Serena. And she advances in the match. Now, I do agree there are some concerns. I'm curious to hear what yours are. I just feel like the the long rallies are taking a lot out of her. It's not that she's not playing them well. It's not that she can't win them. It just feels like they linger for the next couple points and then, you know, maybe at worst the next couple games. And it, it becomes uh, something that, like, in a way it's fun to watch because you have this version of Serena that's like, you know, like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I better hit a forehand winner in the next two balls. And she sometimes does it. (laughs) But it's like, what I was thinking as I was watching this match is like, you know, you do realize if you play like an Iga Sviantek, like this is going to be the norm. Like she's going to drag you into these rallies. So that was what I was thinking watching it that, okay, you know, you can get away with, um, you know, you can get away with this against Buzernescu where, uh, you're you're clearly recovering from these long rallies and it's taking a little bit out of you, but you're working through the match, you know, nicely. But what if you have to, you know, do that on a more regular basis? It's just harder to shorten points on clay. I agree with you. And, you know, again, that she won only, and I'm saying only 45% of her return points. It's not like Bujernescu has the weapon of a Sabalenka, of a Sviantec, can play that sort of plus one tennis to the level that they can. I agree with you. That's a concern. At the same time, that's why I'm so locked in on Serena's ability to play plus one, because she's going to have to execute flawlessly in her service games against those players. And was today flawless? Probably not, but it was a sign in the right direction, right? For sure. I mean, you know, especially the way the third set went. Mm-hmm. Because here, here she could have been locked in a battle, and she really uh, marched her foot down and just became super, super consistent in her in her sustained aggression. Where Buzernescu could could get extra balls back and you know play some play some great looking points, but at the end of the day, she wasn't getting that miss out of Serena on the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. So I thought. I thought it was a, a really positive day in the office for Serena. I, I just do wonder, you know, is she going to be able to shorten enough, uh, shorten points enough at this tournament, or is she going to have to um, wait until Wimbledon to to really take that cardio factor out of her, you know, game in terms of being a weakness? No, it's fascinating to me because you look at Serena's draw. 
it's opened up for her. Like, there's no denying that. She's got Danielle Collins next, and that's a test because Collins mm-hmm. is going to put plus one power and pressure on you. And that'll be interesting to see how Serena responds. And you know who's not intimidated by anyone? Danielle freaking Collins. Like, mm-hmm. she will not be overwhelmed, I don't think, by the Serena factor. She gets through that. She's probably got Rabakina, who is, we talked about this with Jeff Sackman, you know, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Rabakina is not on the in the club yet, but they have her valeting. They have her caddying for people when they want to go play rounds of golf because they're like, hey, just keep an eye on this Rabakina. She hits the crap out of the ball, and that would be another test for Serena's fitness. At the same time, like if I told you, hey, Collins is round three, Rabakina is round four coming into the event, if you're Serena Nation, you take that, right? Like 100 out of 100 times. This is the best draw that I can remember Serena getting in in quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, setting up nicely for her. And you're right. She only gains momentum as she moves through these tournaments, especially coming in without a lot of match play and not going as deep in the warm-up events as she would like. Like, this, was, this would have been, I would say, a, a danger zone first couple rounds for her. But I think, you know, as she begins to develop that that rhythm and confidence even more, I mean, th- this is an opportunity for Serena. Again, my only question is, can, can this older version of Serena go all the way on clay against the, the elite players? I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. No, it's fair. It's, you know, rhythm's a good word. Clay court cadence. It's a different cadence than when you're playing yeah. on other surfaces. And she's getting closer to it. I would say that. But again, it does feel like if she's going to win, there's got to be another gear she hits. And it's going to be really interesting to see how she progresses. But again, Serena, three set victory. She moves on to round number three. Be sure to check out three, a tennis show as well, since we're throwing in the three, three, threes here. Whenever you say the number, it's like, you know. Yeah, that's good branding. That's why I went. Are you kidding? Whenever nothing makes me angrier, let's get into what makes Alex angry corner. I feel like this is why these are just therapy sessions. This is why I bring you on because you just smile through it and occasionally you'll laugh, which is what I look for the most in a companion. Um, that every time they say a mini break and the tiebreaker, they don't throw to a plug of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network <laughs> infuriates me. I'm like, come on, it's a low hanging fruit. Like, there's a reason we did it, folks. Um, but anyways, that's Alex Grievance Corner. That's another story for another time. Last breakdown, and we're not going to spend as long on this one because it just ends up hurting my feelings. But, you know, Kay Nishikori, I don't know why I said it, knocks, it hurts my feelings because it's really fun to see Nishikori healthy, playing at this level once again. But he kind of stole that match from Karen Hatchinov. It felt like Hatchinov just played such a tentative fourth and fifth sets. Now, it's a credit to Nishikori, who's what, like 26-5 and five or something crazy? I'll look up the stat in a moment um, in his five-set results. But look, that's back-to-back five-set victories for him over Hatchinov. He, uh, over Hatchinov, excuse me, in this event. This time, it's a 4-6-6-2-2-6-6-4-6-4 win over Hatchinov. Did Kay win this match? I mean, it's always somewhere in between, but was this more a Kay win yeah. or a Hatchinov loss? Well, I thought Kay won. I'm a little bit biased, so we can tag team this because I was really keyed in on the fourth and the fifth sets, and, mm-hmm. and Kay won both of them. So, And I, I know you went back and, and rewatched some of, the, some of the earlier portions of the match, but it seemed to me like, yeah, Kay won it because the, the things that Hatchinov and the bad habits that some of them that he was falling into – and he didn't play a terrible match, but still, those bad habits, um, it's not like it was the first time I've ever seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, it's not like he was, um, 
he didn't play that badly. He it's just Nishikori was more aggressive. You now Kay was the one who was moving forward, which is such a good way to combat kind of the power deficit that he's at uh, against Karen Hatchinov. I thought Nishikori served really, really well, served as well as Hatchinov, which really shouldn't happen with the height difference. We're looking at a 5'10 guy playing a 6'6 guy, (laughs) and I don't think the 6'6 guy serves that much better. Uh, But Nishikori, more reliable off the ground when it comes from, you know, a results perspective. But then you look at the technique and – it's kind of like, okay, we can expect that. Hatchinov just doesn't make up enough ground in the advantages that he should have over K. He should be serving bigger. He should be playing bigger. And at the end of the day, he's not really doing that. Mm-hmm. No, I, that's fair to say. And, you know, again, you look for Karen Hatchinov, who I believe had made round of 16 or better the past three seasons here at the French Open. He just got super tentative down the home yeah. stretch of the match. And you look, you know, early on, he was winning the zero to four shot rallies. He was going after his plus one forehand. And, you know, you even look in total here in the match, he hits, I think it's 43 winners against 59 unforced errors. But you look in sets four and five for Hatchinov, there were 18 unforced errors in set number four. Uh, in set number five, he hit 14 of them. So 32 of the 59 come in the last two sets. It's just because he got so tentative and then it was oh no maybe I do need to hit through these maybe I do need to go after that backhand down the line a little bit more aggressively and then it just wasn't there for him and I mean you look overall in the match again 55% of your first serves isn't going to cut it now you know I think you look overall or excuse me that's set number one you look in the total he made 63% of his first serves that's fine but you know it just he was just fine in everything today. There was nothing exceptional about his performance. And, you know, for Neishi Corey, he still does have that plus firepower. He does. If you leave enough balls yeah. in the center of the court, he's going to go big down the line. He's going to have you moving around the court playing to his patterns. And again, he hit 57 winners in this match against 56 unforced errors. He played to win, as you mentioned it. He was the aggressor down the home stretch. And that wasn't the case in two out of the first three sets. And, you know, even in set number two, I believe, which goes Nishikori— Oh, set number two is a little bit of a blowout. I should say set number four, it did feel like early on, Hatchinov had continued to establish that rhythm. But as the set kept going, he got more and more passive, and his core positioning became worse and worse. And, you know, again, it's, it's frustrating because Hatchinov is your modern tennis player. Like, just physically, six foot four four, five, six, whatever it may be, so fluid out of the corners as well. And he does have the big first serve. He does have the big forehand when he wants to use it. And yet, you know, 26 and 21 in his last, excuse me, 52 weeks. And you look for him in that time, two and six against top 20 opponents. And, you know, he's taken sets in a couple of those matches, but that's just unacceptable. Like, it's just, he's better than that. My biggest gripe with him big picture in the last year or so like i just really think he needs to serve better and i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a little set for um micro uh stats yeah sure okay microcosm yeah that's better you see that's why you're the best in the business michigan um tied for the best we agree (laughs) (laughs) um so in set four he makes 76 percent of his first serves yep and now we will go to the uh, zero through four shots on Hatchinov serve, and he wins that 16 to 13. So he's making first serves, 
and he's still not winning the short points on his serve just shows you how that that's just getting neutralized mm-hmm. uh, i just think he he needs to be more imposing with the first serve if he's going to take advantage of of what he has dare we say it's virevi where it's like you know it's there and yet <clears throat> you get tentative down the home stretch and it's like you don't go after it all of the way you roll in the first serve instead of really going big and you know, again, playing to win, not playing not to lose. And I know that's a it's a superficial, non-quantifiable thing, but would you agree when you watch Karen Hatchnov in sets four and five in particular, it feels too often he's playing not to lose? Yes, and he could have beaten a lot of players there. Like, you know, Nish, again, he Nishikori came up with a lot, yeah. and I really liked, I want to emphasize, like I really liked how he was coming to a hundred percent and you made the case for him in the first two minutes like i i would echo everything you said nishikori won this match for sure yeah but hatchinov also lost it yes that's good analysis there (laughs) (laughs) well okay here i i'm assuming you haven't looked what do you think hatchinov's average first serve speed was in this match like at best 108 no it was 111 uh, I was going to guess 112, but we do prices right rules here on the Great Shot Pod or, or Mini Break Podcast, whatever we're on, Crack Rackets Podcast. Uh-huh. So if you go over, you lose. Um, so I, that's why I went a little low. But yeah, that makes. And like, he's a guy with 120 power. Yeah, like, that's fine. That's fine. But be be Karen Hatchinov, like the, the old version. Like, pump your serve. Um, I, I feel like he, athletically, that's the thing. Athletically, he just has it in him. It's not. It's not only that he's six foot five. He's not. He's not. Um, he's a freaking strong six foot five. Chris Hemsworth's so, there. Like, let's be yeah. honest here. Come on. Yeah. What are we doing? You're a Thor. Right. So, so that's why it's like mm, one eleven. Like you're playing a really skilled guy in Kane Ishikori. Really, really fast around the court. Some of the best technique in all of tennis. And like, you're just playing his game. Do what he can't. You know, play with with more power and serve bigger than he can. That's how you're going to beat this guy because he's he's in the top 15. He's a not not right now. He's a former top 10 player mm-hmm. because of these attributes. Um, and you're trying to beat him in that game. It's it's going to be tough. Do you think he sees Berrettini and he's like, that should be me. He's like, how did I lose my like? That was his spot. Mm. That like perennial eighth, like hovering all four surfaces, all four, all three surfaces. Like he's like, you you took my corner. A a little bit. It's just, yeah. The 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 forehands are are miles away. Berrettini is serving just way better though. Like think about their serves. Think about the difference between their serves, and they are the same body type, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and they're both exceedingly handsome. Like, it's just like, yeah. this is a joke. Yeah. Like, anyways, that's a story for another time. Um, but no, I would agree with you. And again, credit to Kane Ishikori. He just, you can never count out 26 and 7 in his career in five set matches. That's a joke. That's just absurdly, Dude. absurdly good. Dude does not get tired. Ever. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's just. Well, so- actually, sometimes he looks, he does the Andy Murray affair. <laughs> like he looks tired. Yeah. Then the point starts, and it's like, wait, you're not tired. (laughs) Exactly. He's like, hey, I can't afford to expend emotion when I'm not playing the point, so you're just going to see nothingness uh, because I'm saving it all. Oh, yeah. Wait, I have a question. Why did he look, like, genuinely pissed after winning the fourth set? (laughs) 
because it's Andy Murray dub. No, he's of that generation where it's like I didn't play well enough. Like I need to be better yeah. than this. I'm offended like, that I only beat you six four. He looked genuinely upset that he won the set. It was. I've delightful. never seen anything like it. I have no idea why, but he just looked so unhappy. No, he looked was... happy when he won the match, so that's all that matters. That's true. He made up for it. But again, Nishikori, five-set victory. And with that in mind, let's rapid fire now through the rest of these results. Upsets on the day. Two women's seeds knocked out, one on the men's side. Benchich roped us. There's no denying that. The way she beat Podoroska down in round one, you thought maybe Benchich is coming, but nope. Daria Kasakina, former quarterfinalist here, 6-2-6-2 win over her. And then in another Spider-Man me match, Katerina Sinyakova gets the better of Veronica Kudermatova. This was just an excellent match. And, you know, Kudermatova was up, I believe, 5-2 in that third set, but ultimately Sinyakova knocks her off in three sets. You also had Henry Laxon in. This one was a puzzler. Four-set victory for him over Roberto Bautista Agut. Those are, you know, three of your four seats knocked off on the day, Hatchinoff being the other. Your thoughts on those other three upsets? RBA is just, like, he's not going to like the the high-bouncingness of these clay courts. and That's, that's a real word, one too. Thing. Yes, the... Um... Bouncingness, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'm no, here all, all night. No, all night. He's not going to lead. He's not going to. Uh, he's definitely not going to listen to this. You're going to get an angry tweet from Nick Nemiroff. Just be careful. Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> as I do, it's what I do. Um, yeah. So I was kind of. He was a little bit on on upset alert for me, RBA, because I, I just knew that this was not going to be his jam. Um, but you know. Credit to credit to Laxon, and I wasn't sure it was going to be that early. Um, so great win for him and Sinyakova. Uh, that was a high level match. Did that not seem like a like a quarterfinal of sorts? So look out for her the rest of the way. Although it was really physical. No, it was awesome. And again, that bottom half of the draw or bottom quarter, straight up anyone's to win. Your eight players left: Zadanzik, Sinyakova, Kirstea, Kasatkina, Herzog, Vandrusova, Bedosa, and Bogdan. Name out of a hat. Oh, Herzog's making the quarterfinals. That's cool. Um, like, it's just, it's going to get funky down there. And all of those Bedosa predictions, and I wrote about it for our website, crackrackets.com. Click and clack. You can go read it there. Yeah, like, Sinyakova was excellent, but you're right. That was a very physical match. And so, it's anyone's ball game down there. And, yeah, you know. very interesting. Bedosa, I'm going to make her the favorite. Yeah, I, I, that's. I think that's the safe pick as well. And again, you talk about the women that uh, the women and men who went the distance today. Uh, I don't. You weren't talking about it, but we're going to talk about it now. Kirstea, three set win over Trevisan, knocking off last year's quarter finalist. On the men's side, you had four other matches going the distance. Davidovich Fokina beats my boy BVDZ, aka Botik van de Zanskolp. Uh You had Jure over Kasmenovic. As mentioned, never bet on Kasmenovic. The moment you think he's going to win, he's not going to. Now, this match was very, very good, but Laszlo gets the better of him. You also had Stevie J. Stevie J's a clay court specialist, Gil. The numbers prove it out. The most wins in his career at any slam come at the French Open. He's got 11 there. I believe the next closest total is eight. And then Del Bonis going to Del Bonis. Five-set win for him over Andahar. That was a match that looked exactly how all of you think it looked. Your thoughts on the matches that went the distance? Yeah, for for Stevie J, it's the uh, Stevie J. 
it's the it's the forehand and obviously yeah. just the immense physicality like is he the greatest athlete ever probably um <laughs> so so good yeah <laughs> that's a it's a great win for him um jera i'm glad to see back on the scene so to speak i know he never went anywhere but he stopped winning on clay mm -hmm. and that's not something that i was expecting to happen yeah he can be a little bit erratic but his power is is legit especially on the forehand side davidovich fatina fakina against batik van de Zanschulp. Um, Sculp, by the way, I was, Sculp, I was pronouncing just so you know, no, it's hard because at that point you're seven syllables deep and you're like, just get yes. through the name. What, what were you going to say there? Someone, someone, uh, corrected you. Yeah. On Twitter, my, my person, my girl, Betty, uh, she always corrects okay. me and I appreciate it. Yeah. Botik van de Sen Sculp. Um, you can also okay. find all the pronunciations on the ATP website, but that's a story for yes. another time. Um, anyway, I mean. That I expect that to be a close match, and um, that that's a really positive um, result for the uh, for, for Van de Zand Sculp, um, or excuse me, a positive tournament. I meant to say, yes, and uh, a good win for Davidovich Fakina, who's going to be dangerous. Absolutely, he's everything. I, I think I said this last time. He's everything American fans want Tommy Paul to be. Uh, a Davidovich Fokina, and that was the all Scrabble match, by the way, as well, because you found all of your vowels, <laughs> all of your high letter, uh, high number letters, as well. Those are your upsets, your matches that went the distance. In terms of the other results on the day, let's start with the women's seeds, uh, the ones who looked comfortable. Sabalenka, there was the five minute stretch where she's like, oh, I don't feel like making any more tennis balls, and then of course she recovers. Seven five six three over Sasnovich. Very impressive win for Azarenka, 5-4 over Clara Tossin. You had wins from Vandrusova, Rybakina, very impressive from Madison Keys to knock off Leila Fernandez, Pavlachenkova, and then Bedosa. Anytime you can beat anyone 2-0 at a Grand Slam, you're doing something right. Your thoughts on the women's seeds results? Sabalenka um, was, a, was a good match for me for her because she won ugly, mm -hmm. and sometimes she loses ugly. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was a, a growth match for her, especially in a slam where we've seen things get very complicated for her. Again, she did not have her her best stuff, but she also didn't have any drama in this match. So I think that's uh, impressive. And then yes, Azarenka straight sets in a match that I probably would have said would would go three uh, in a victory over Clara Tawson. Um, I just want to be clear. One of my aces of the day was over two and a half sets in Azarenka Tossin. So I very much agreed with you. There. That, <laughs> that was that was an ally I took out of the day. Yeah, and and I will say while while I did listen to your excellent contenders podcast with Jeff Sackman, I did not listen to that one, so I did not cheat. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, yeah, I would also say Madison Keys against uh, Layla Fernandez um, was a was a fascinating one. I'm wondering, um, you know, w when you have a player in Fernandez who is so skilled with the racket and makes so many balls and changes direction so well against someone who hits as big as Madison Keys, it was a, a very interesting clash. And ultimately, it's just the player who is more who is more physically ready at this level was the one who who came through. 
are we like underselling, underrating Madison Keys? Because her top gear, we all know, it can look very, very good. She just hasn't been healthy in forever. Um, I agree with every, with all of your analysis there. By the way, Jeff and I are accepting resumes if you'd like to join the scouting department at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. So just, you know, slip me a DM if you'd like. I, I think your resume is pretty clear cut. I, I'm just going to say the spot's yours if you want it because we do need a tie-breaking <laughs> vote. Um, but no, I would agree with everything you said there. I call Tomjanovic Garbine Muguruza 0.75 just because, like, the body types, the length, all of the above. She, she's got a lot of things she can do, but nothing too overwhelming. Um, but, no, I, you know, again, pretty straightforward day. Herzog's a tricky out on clay. And just, again, that bottom quarter is wide open. She's absolutely in the mix. Zidanezic's forehand it's built for a clay court. And then Danielle Collins, we all know she's a semifinalist at a Grand Slam before. When she's clicking, she can beat anyone. That match for Serena. Prime time tennis. Now on the men's side, you know my affinity for Pedro Martinez Portero, who gets knocked off in straight sets by Stefano Tsitsipas, 6-3, 6-4, 6-3. And yet, I feel like, and I know we were talking about this beforehand, it was a pretty impressive for, uh, day for my boy PMP. Yeah, I really liked what he's what I saw from him. He just kind of has everything. Uh, he's strong. He's physical. He's got power on both the forehand and the backhand side, and he's got that modern, you know, fast racket mm-hmm. on the forehand. Generates lots of topspin. I thought the the serve was was good enough. Nothing overwhelming, but for his size, it's kind of to be expected. And he he kind of looked like. Um, somewhat of a miniature version of Tsitsipas and at a, at a lower level. So I thought he, he performed nicely for himself. No, I agree. And that Tsitsipas beat him in straight sets speaks to the fact Tsitsipas is a content, like if Tsitsipas, I mean, if he wins it, that's a whole nother story. When Tsitsipas gets semifinals, finals, I mean, he's the five seed. It's not going to shock everyone as everyone's pick. But, you know, a lot of people are saying that they doubt Stefano Tsitsipas. Actually, no one is saying that. A lot of people are saying uh, he's hitting his prime, and it's very, very evident. Like, this is the sort of win that we saw Roger Federer have for 15 years. Yeah, because it's it's a player who's 24 years old, feeling very confident, very comfortable, and is going to make some strides in the future, and he's playing well, and you're just dispatching him like it's nothing mm-hmm. um it, it's amazing with with Tsitsipas it's like and we'll get there at some point eventually but <laughs> the difference between people saying yeah he's gonna make the semis or he's gonna make the finals and everyone's like yeah totally of course and then it's he's gonna win then it's like whoa slow down <laughs> there buddy holy crap don't get ahead of yourself right? <laughs> and like it's it's just funny how that is it's, it's like one or two matches yeah, exactly. It's like, actually, he got the breaks on this day, so he did win the event. Or like, no, he missed that return, and so he didn't. That's tennis for you. It's a fickle, fickle game. And yet, no, Tsitsipas, again, it was like, he was kind of, it was like, all right, this is, this is cute, but it's money time in the set, and it's time for me to move on. And, you know, again, he wasn't the only one who did that. Zverev, straight set win over Sefillian. 2012, Alex is like, was that the Grand Slam final? Unfortunately, it wasn't. It was a second round. But, you know, again, Zverev advances. Finally starting to see Casper play his best at Roland Garros. Three-set, you know, straight-set win over Matrizak. Uh, Carino Busta, four-set win. Fonini, impressive straight-set win. And so funny, I swear to God, if Fucevic wins that first set, it's like a completely different match. But, you know, Fonini just puts so much pressure on him. And he has been sneaky good at the slams since 2019. I think it's like 
it's something like 25 and 12 or some crazy right that sounds a little high but it's like he's had a really really good record at the slams uh since 2019 he's a primetime performer showed it today and then the big serving americans and this is where american tennis clay court specialist i don't know but isner looked great against krajinovich opelka I mean, when you're a foot and a half taller than your opponent, you should probably win the match. And I do think he's a particularly <laughs> tough matchup for Munar. And you had a great stat that I want to let you list here once again. But, you know, then Marco Giron, four-set win over Guido Pea, who is your definition of a clay court specialist. Your thoughts on the Americans today. Isner, Opelka, Giron getting the job done. And obviously, if you want to comment on any of the other seats, you can as well. Sure. I mean, you can serve here is, yeah. is my main comment. I mean... Last year, it was cold. People were wearing jackets. <laughs> and at the same time, the ball changed from Babolat to Wilson. But we didn't really get the full experience. We didn't get normal French Open with the Wilson tennis ball. So right now, for the first time, this is normal French Open for the Wilson tennis ball. We're kind of learning things. The ball is bouncing. It's lively. And it's not, I don't think that's what people were expecting with the change from Wilson, which is kind of known for a, a heavier ball, but that's just kind of how it's been. Um, and at the same time, you know, you, you have, Krajinovic is good, but not really playing as well as I would think he would coming into the event. And uh, Munar is someone who I, I thought Opelka would beat. But he's also a great measuring stick for Riley because Munar beats everyone he's supposed to beat. And here's my stat. He's 23 and five against players outside the top 100. And then with that kind of consistency, you'd think, okay, well, Munar is a, is a really, you know, solidly top 50 player maybe would, would have that kind of record. But then against the top 100, he's six and seven. You make it against the top 50. Technically, he's two and seven. He's really one and seven. Benoit Paire retired in one of those matches. So what Munar is having a lot of trouble doing is beating players who he's not expected to beat and just kind of reaching up above his ranking, beating the players above him, punching up, so to speak. So Opelka, you know, he brought a he brought a good level. It was going really downhill for him, and he his body language was pretty bad for much of the fourth set. But then he just flipped a switch, broke serve, and it was lights out. And his serve kept a minute, his own serve kept a minute for long enough to get that opportunity at the end of the fourth set. I think you nailed it. You can serve here. Like, I'm, you put it perfectly. You really can. And... Isner and Opelka are having success doing it. And the best part about watching Riley Opelka is you're just like, man, four years from now, your serve is going to be so much better because, like, it's really not as good as it should be right now. That's the wrong way of saying it. It's really not at its peak right now. Like, you feel like he leaves some percentage points on this table. You feel like he's going to hit his spots better. He's going to be able to mix up spins even better as he creates, uh, continues through his career, going to become a better serve and volley or better plus one attacker off of that serve. And yet, like, Munar's up here. I'm reaching up high above my head. It was just, he was just like, man. He was just like, man, f*** you. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, you really had to throw that kick serve 30 feet above my head. Or at least that's what I would have been thinking if I was him. And, like, again, Munar, difficulty generating pace, right, at that degree, at that level. And uh, I think that stat's very much reflected of that fact. This match was just on Riley's racket. And that's a really good win for him. And now, like... I think him and Medvedev have played a bunch of three-setters in the past. I'm remembering some good ones in their history. I'm excited for that one. I think that's going to be a really, really good match. You know, 
we didn't talk about the Jerome part for him to follow up that uh, he's just clearly in his prime and for a guy who had like double hip surgery and just you know injuries were such a big part of his early career he was one of the top juniors coming into UCLA he is an NCAA singles champion then just was play you know plagued by injuries he's gotten better and better physically he can hang with anyone he's got that low center of gravity you need on clay as well Yes, I'm calling him short, um, but he's really not that short. He's like six foot, six one. Like he's plenty really? there. Uh, maybe five eleven. Um, I don't know. I, the problem is my brother's five eleven, but he's. Just we need beat- Brad Gilbert for this. Yeah. Brad Gilbert would would look at him. He'd go five ten and seven sixteenths. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, just something like that. By the way, BG, the key is he's in on the joke. I just let's be clear. Like he's well aware. That's my thing with BG. Do we do two minutes on BG? You yes, have, we do. Do you have strong feelings on BG? Yeah. Oh, lay him on That is one of BG. There is nothing that gives me more joy than <laughs> watching an ESPN telecast and BG is courtside. And like Chris Fowler will will do what a, a commentator does, which is look at a guy's height and regurgitate that number and say like, okay, like Marcos Giron is six feet and Brad Gilbert's courtside and he goes, nah. Five foot eleven, two fifths at best. (laughs) I agree. I'm in on it. Uh, Yeah, it's the best. He's just so funny. I just, yeah. And the key is he's in on the joke. Like, if you think he's being serious all the time, this is a man who lives in Malibu. Like, come on, come on. Let's be clear here. Uh, He's thoroughly enjoying his life, but that's a perfect analysis. I agree with you very much. And again, those are all of your day uh, four matches, and we're hitting the under today. We are not going the hour and a half. I feel like I'm ripping you off. If you want 20 minutes back at the end, you say what you (laughs) want to say. But, you know, again, matches tomorrow, second rounds continue. You look on the women's side. Brady versus Pharaoh is a match that was just made for me. I think that one is an Alex Gruskin special. You've got yep. Svinolina versus Ann Lee, Pliskova Stevens, Kontave Mladenovic, Kenan Baptiste is interesting as well on the men's side. Fritz Kofer, Nishioka Musetti, Nori Harris, and then the 2008 squads, Chilich versus Federer, Gasquet versus Nadal. Whichever of those matches you want to talk about, whatever you're going to talk, uh, whichever ones you're going to be watching most closely, the floor is yours, my friend. Um, well, I will certainly be watching Chilich versus Federer and Gazkay Nadal. Um, I don't need to plug three. For the three, um, three, three. There it is. There it is. I was going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm sure. Um, Chilich, like, I want to see how he handles this moment because it's been a while since he played, since I feel like he's had a lot of eyes on him mm-hmm. and he's just struggled with his nerve management. But if he doesn't, I I think he can really test Federer by throwing some weapons at him that obviously a Dennis Histamin is unable to to throw Roger <laughs> Federer's way. Um, and look, Federer still, I, I, I thought he was very impressive. I make him a heavy favorite here, but he's two and two in 2021, right? Let's just, mm-hmm. you know, look, look at it and, and call, call it a spade what a spade. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I've never so, understood so that expression, by the way. I don't get it. Why are we calling What did the spade do? Like, no, well, I'm we calling it. It's call, a club. Right. We wouldn't call it a club, would we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Please. 
No, no, I, I would say that that's all on the men's side. I, Sloan Stevens was in a, a spot that I don't envy playing against Carlos Suarez Navarro, mm-hmm. and it's like a match that you you almost like don't want yourself to win. Yeah, um, <laughs> she's so... rooting against herself. I agree with you. That's a perfect way of putting it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think this is a, a chance for Sloan, who everybody knows, like she she has the talent, and hopefully she puts it back together because she at one point did have it together. Uh, I think anytime you're playing Carolina Pliskova on clay, you have a chance uh, to upset a high seed if you uh, if you're able to bother her and drag her into rallies and return the serve. So uh, I look for uh, Sloan to have a big opportunity tomorrow as well. I'm going to jinx it, but just like Ann Lee is so good. She is so good. And I'm just, will you watch Ann Lee specifically tomorrow against Fidelina unless it's a 5 a.m. match? Let's see, what time is that match tomorrow? I can pull it up real quickly. Of course, that match is a 5 a.m. match. So actually, we still have five hours to go on this podcast. I'm just going to keep you awake (laughs) until it starts. That way you have to watch the opening. But yeah, I I agree with everything you said. The Chilich analysis was spot on. And, you know, again, I think Brady Farrow could get very interesting very fast. And if, you know, again, if Farrow gets through there, that draw opens up. If Pliskova Pliskova had brutal first two matches, Vekic and Stevens back-to-back, she's like, am I not a top-10 seed? Like, what do I have to do to to get one of the Ovas who are outside the top 75? Or, like, what do I have to do to just get a random... Gasparian match or something like that but no it's just like these established names over and over again these players who are so hungry to get back where they belong in the rankings she's like come on <laughs> like hook yeah. me up um but no and then how does Kennan respond to Baptiste like Kennan was excellent against Ostapenko is Kennan back like is that a storyline we have to monitor if she wins one in one tomorrow maybe she is if she loses to a tricky Haley Baptiste then it was like okay that was a bit of a a bit of a you know again whatever the word is of a a deceit a a mirage that's the word I was looking for there it is um so they're all interesting on the women's side I feel like I've watched Fritz Cope for a thousand times like I know I don't know how many times they've played in their career but like I just feel like that's a match I've seen Taylor Fritz lose repeatedly and I would like to see him win that match tomorrow like straight up it's time for him to win that match Yes. Um, hmm. I, I I have middling confidence in in Fritz in that match, I would say. I mean, I, I don't feel extremely confident either way. Um, do, do you think he's moving well enough on, on the clay to pull off that victory? I don't know. It's a good question. He hits a heavy enough ball that, like, on yes. clay, it's just he, you, you respond to and you're on your back foot. Like, it pushes you back. And that's the quality that's so fascinating to me about him on clay courts because he's got the serve and then the heaviness of ground stroke. But you're right. Like, I mean, there are times out there where I'm like, I could have tracked that down. Like, come on, Taylor. Like, what are we doing here? And it's just like, yes. it's it's a whole thing. So, again, I think that's a match for him to hit his ceiling. It's time for him to start winning. And I just, at the same time, Dom Kofor is playing some really good ball of late. So I am very, very excited to see that one unfold. But again, was a fantastic first half of the second round. Certainly we're looking forward to it all unfolding here on the second half on day five. Any other thoughts you want to throw on me? And if not, please plug plug away. What do you have coming for us? Um, I'm going to say Musetti beats Nishioka. It's such a, such a good... Uh... Beautiful matchups for for Massetti, Gafan and Nishioka. Could not ask for better for his play style. Uh, very complimentary. The the players who do not hit the ball too big for Musetti <laughs> to handle. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's all. Um, 
content content throughout the next two weeks on Gil Gross, the YouTube channel. Just look up my name with uh, two L's. Monday Match Analysis is the podcast feed where I will be posting a lot of that content that is the same content on YouTube. It just goes on audio. Um, and yep, uh, I think we've done enough three. No more three. <laughs> three, three, three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's from that. The best is free for all. Fox, break the tar- Captain Falcon. Um, anyways, yeah. <laughs> Action Network also. Just check the, the tennis tab on Action Network to see my previews. I love it. Looking forward to it all. Well, again, Gil, you know it's always a pleasure whenever we have the chance to chat. Be safe, be healthy, and we'll see you again later this slam. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. take care my friend that's by the way not not a fact so it's, <laughs> it's just a prediction it's, it could an, come it's true, an inference it it's an inference yes, yes yes i like it but take care have a good night Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation breaking down day four of the French Open with my buddy Gil Gross as we talked about. Expect to hear more from Gil throughout the next week and a half of French Open action. I always enjoy picking his brain, his tolerance for my nonsense as high as anyone else out there in the tennis industry. And of course, he sincerely is producing some excellent content. So if you're not already, be sure to go check out Monday Match Analysis. Be sure to check out 333, The Tennis Show. I'm sure you're sick of hearing that by now, but it is that excellent of a show. And of course, always got to give love to our fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network shows. So be on the lookout for all of his content. And again, be on the lookout for more of his voice on these mini break podcasts. Again, quick plugging. If you have missed anything from this French Open, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. I wrote a piece naming my top contenders in this women's singles competition. I believe all of those contenders still alive as of me recording this outro. Now, perhaps by the time you're listening to it, maybe one or two of them have been eliminated, but very proud of that article. Would love to hear all of your thoughts as well. So you can go read it on the website, crackrackets.com. You can also find all of the prior days recap podcasts in case you have missed any of the uh, previous action. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Uh, And again, just be on the lookout for a Cracked Interviews podcast with Midwest Sports' Dave Limke to explain the transition from Midwest Sports to Tennis Point. Be on the lookout for some college tennis content on the Great Shot podcast feed as well. But with all that in mind, for my wonderful guest, Gil Gross, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com.